Welcome back to our special two-part episode featuring Stocks with Josh. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I suggest you go back and take a listen. In today's episode, you'll hear from Josh as he shares his 2024 predictions when it comes to volatility, technology stocks, earnings seasons, and seasonalities around the presidential election. You're listening to Mobile Money by Moomoo, demystifying markets one episode at a time. This content is strictly for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be interpreted as a recommendation or investment guidance. Keep in mind that this information is not personalized and should not be the sole basis for your investment decisions as there may be additional factors to consider. You know, we've talked about 2023. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, next year and what might happen. But but first, I really want to think about, you know, everyone, the biggest kind of index is the S&P 500. It, it accounts for most of the market cap in the U.S. stocks, uh, the 500 largest stocks, and and kind of on a long-term chart. And I know you do a lot of technical analysis. Where do you see the support and resistance right now for, for uh, the S&P 500 in, for 2024? All right. So if we look at the S&P 500 as measured by the SPX, we have an obvious area of resistance at the previous all-time high of around 4783 to 40 we'll say 4800 but we're there now so we're we've pushed up against this area of resistance that's what's referred that's the all-time high we're currently uh touching it and if we close above this area right now i think that we could go as high as 4900 you know i think we we can get we can get up to 4,900, uh, but after that, from a technical perspective, I think that we would, uh, you know, we would hit a wall. Oh, very interesting. And so, 2024 is also a presidential year. If, if you haven't heard yet, you know, the 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 noise hasn't gotten deafening yet, but uh, I'm sure very soon it will. We'll have primaries coming up, and then the election uh, in November. Uh, and, uh, you know, people have been looking forward to this for a long time. And, and, and in the past, it has meant certain things for stocks. So, you know, kind of what's your thoughts on the presidential election? Uh, does it mean anything for particular sectors or the market generally? Uh, any any type of calendar trends we should be watching? Well, yeah, you know, I will just simply say this, that um, I have observed through my my uh, couple decades of trading that sentiment does play a huge part in the economy and um, a positive feeling uh, can absolutely sweep across the country based on presidential elections. And it doesn't matter. People will say, well, it's got to be this party or that party. And from my personal observation. It hasn't mattered who, which party has gotten in. It's simply, you know, sort of the positive uh, hope for change. New leadership, fresh leadership, um, oftentimes gives people this feeling of, of optimism that something will get better. And that has, from my past experience, caused the market to, to move. Um, sometimes we've seen a president get elected and the market, there's been an initial market reaction. Uh, but I've often noticed, and this is just, what do we call this is um, non-factual, just uh, you know, personal observation. I've sometimes seen someone get elected the market didn't want. Um, there was a little mini 
uh, drop down that recovered within, you know, you know, maybe it dropped down one week and then everybody on CNBC was talking about, you know, it being a certain way. And, and then, you know, the following week it just recovered. And so at most, I would say that, uh, change, if it's, you know, if, if there, if we have a, a clear and decisive election, it would produce, um, you know, a positive move to the market. Um, I've also observed in years gone by when the, when there was an indecisive election, and we've had a couple of those in the last decade, we've had a couple of moments where people were questioning the outcome that the market didn't like, uh, the market did not enjoy, uh, that lack of clarity and direction. So as long as we have a clear and concise and, um, election, I actually believe that, that, um, an election year is positive for the stock market. I am personally, uh, you could say I'll go out on a limb and predict from my own personal opinion that we will have faced whatever dr- drop we're going to face, I think we'll have faced before the election. And so the election could set up for giving us a positive rally uh, off of some lows. Uh, but that's very speculative, just my general observations from years gone by. That's that's a very interesting thought. And, and my question would be, uh, would something like that actually influence the election itself uh, for the incumbent? So if we see a 50% drop in, in the market, uh, you may feel some people may want to change their votes. Uh, any thoughts on that? Or do you think people are, are more aligned with other issues? You know, I think, you know, I remember years ago when I was a kid, I'll talk about old elections rather than um, recent elections, uh, maybe they're less controversial. But I remember, you know, they used to say, I remember that Bush after Reagan you know, I remember everyone said that he lost because he was out of touch. He was, you know, they kind of accused him of being an old guy in Washington, out of touch with with uh, people's money. And um, and he was too caught up in um, global affairs and interactions around the world. And he wasn't acknowledging that the American economy was not doing that well. He kept pointing to the future, yet people were sitting there today dealing with today problems not problems down the road you know and and leadership sometimes can be looking so far out or so globally that they're not looking at exactly what people are going through uh this christmas you know filling up this tank of gas and so i think that um you know yeah if things aren't going well if prices on oil aren't coming down by the time it's election time i think that would absolutely impact people and i have also observed and i've seen it in the past and justin i'd be curious if you've seen this too that sometimes we've run really expensive uh gas off years and we get to an election year and it's amazing how the politicians find a way of bringing the price of gas down you know months before the election so people feel like ah it's not that bad so i think we're going to see a ton of manipulation this year yeah and obviously you know uh, the gas season kind of peaks in in the summer uh, and yeah. then it comes down slowly from there so there's that natural uh yes. decline yeah. but uh, you know, my real question is, you know, what what triggers are they going to pull? You know, we've already seen uh, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve be depleted significantly. Uh, it's at its lowest levels in decades. And, oh. and so at some point, uh, the question becomes, you know, how do you, you know, how do you fix that? Uh, and, and yeah, maybe maybe we can broker a, a truce in Ukraine and in Russia. And that certainly would bring prices down or. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of tensions in the Middle East, but that those are tall asks going into an election year for for uh, for anything. And, and I think what you've said earlier about elections in that a lot of times it's not about the result, but it's about the certainty. Uh, it's about 
getting that result. And it's about people accepting. They're just, they have a fear of the unknown. And once it's known, even if it's not what they wanted, they become okay with it. 100%. And, and, 100%. I, and I want to transition that maybe a little bit into earnings, because I think sometimes there are situations around earnings where you're not really sure what a company is going to report. And, and then you see them report very average results and the stock goes up and you're like, well, why is that? And at some point people were just like, well, the, the worst didn't come true and and they actually had earnings or and, and it was in line. And, and at that point, they're ready to then put their money to work, but they don't want to do it until they see an actual result, just like an election result. And, and speaking of earnings, you know, stocks posted positive year on year earnings growth, growth in the third quarter of 2023 above uh, analyst expectations. So what's your outlook going forward for earnings in 2024? You know, I think that based on some of the graphs that I've looked at and some of the other research that I've been reading into, uh, there is the expectation of these are not going to be record-breaking years, but I think that they're definitely what I've seen is that the low of earnings people have seen as being behind us. And that's why big tech took off as much as it did is because we saw this big earnings drop, right? And then we've seen this steady recovery coming out of it. Now, could there be another big earnings drop? Uh, yes, but the data that would be needed to be seen, um, you know, such as a slowing economy, you know, we're not seeing. And so until that data manifests, we simply cannot have an overly bearish view of earnings. We have to assume that we're going to continue to see earnings growth on par with what we've seen in 2023, uh, because there is absolutely no data that suggests that we won't. And so I'm co- I'm in that camp, uh, Justin. I have to be a little bit of a wait and see person, and I think that you make a bit. People make a huge mistake trying to look too far down. I enjoy looking into 2024 because I think it's important to get a general idea of how things might swing. But a lot of 2024 is going to be determined on data that we don't have, you know, and uh, we can't predict. And we definitely, you know, have to be careful about making uh, um, p- taking positions too early before the market reveals what it wants to do. That's that's a very good point. And my question then becomes, you know, what, what are some of those great data points or particular sectors or companies you might be looking for as kind of, uh, a a early warning signal of you know this is the time to watch out and, and we might see uh, some of those earnings be derailed. Well, I love that question because it's actually one I have a very strong opinion on. Uh, on my page, I have uh, referred to the Apple indicator um, as a overall sentiment for the largest investment firms. If people are buying Apple and pushing the price of Apple higher. It largely tells me that they believe that the economy is um, stable and doing well. And, you know, and I did a video last in 2022 when Apple was down at 125. And at the time I said and predicted, if we break and close beneath 125, this market is going to be it's going to be way worse than anybody realizes because that was a profit point 
for a lot of investors in Apple, right? That was a big area of support. And I said, if they're going to sell their Apple, then they don't want to own anything. And this is just conjecture and personal opinion. So I, I like to refer to it as the Apple indicator. And I've said before, if Apple's going back to all-time highs and we saw it go back to all-time highs, it tells us that any of big tech could potentially follow suit. And we saw that with Microsoft. So I would say that um, I tend to be looking right now at really the two that I tend to be looking at the most is Apple. And then after that, it is currently been Microsoft. If Wall Street likes those companies, and if those supports genuine, genuine, genuinely hold, then it means that they are not too um, scared of the market ahead of us. And when we see those break key levels of support, and I can tell you right now, 170 moving forward on Apple is a key area of support. If we get back uh, later on into 2024 and Apple comes down to you know, 170 and breaks through with volume, then it means that, you know, it's kind of like uh, Apple's like the Groundhog Day for me. You know, if it pops its head up or, you know, that type of thing. You know, if we drop beneath 170, we lose that area of support. You know, I think we could potentially go down to 155. It tells me the market's got three more months of, of negative digestion. If we hold support and bounce in that general range in 2024, it tells me that, you know, that was it. That's all the market wanted to price in. So I famously on my page talk about Apple because I think it is a representation of quality. If people are afraid to buy quality, then they're going to be afraid. They're going to be much more afraid to buy anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so basically what you're telling me is Apple is even a better indicator than Punxsutawney Phil, uh, the groundhog. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot for. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And speaking of big tech, uh, I'm going to give you the top two performers this year in the S&P 500, both of them big tech. Meta platforms up almost 190% or, or uh, you know, almost at the end of the year. NVIDIA up yep. approximately 248%. So my question to you is, you know, these are decent gains. I think most investors would be pretty happy with, with, with gains like these. What's the strategy for trading stocks like these going into 2024? Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, give some predictions on these bold predictions. I like Nvidia and Nvidia has already shown us that the market likes Nvidia. Um the big investment firms like Nvidia. And if and without getting too off track, we have an issue with chips globally. There's conflict and potential of conflict around Taiwan. There's things that could absolutely cause NVIDIA stock to become way more valuable than it currently is. And those who think that way bought up when NVIDIA was at 408 in recent days. It dipped beneath $400 and it did not go back to test previous areas of high. It found real strong support. It moved all the way back up to 500. That was a testament to the fact that NVIDIA is going to continue to be a big market leader. I would not be shocked if in 2024, NVIDIA got above north of 600 and we even saw a stock split. That's possible. I'm not predicting it. I'm just simply telling you that it's possible if it got between six and 650, we'd see a stock split. And I think that um, because of all of the tensions that exist and because of the importance of this product, I think that AMD and NVIDIA are two companies that, um, that have been doing really well. 
Meta is doing well more, in my opinion, because of the AI story. Um, and I think also because it had been just ridiculously beat down and uh, the fear of um, Mark Zuckerberg going after the metaverse, um, which was a legitimate fear because he was spending billions of dollars and the market basically punished the stock until he showed them that he was coming back to focus on advertising and growth of the incredible um, community that is meta. And so when they saw that he was in his right mind, they began to rebuy his stock. Uh, and I think that that's an AI story. Um, and I think if I had to pick between the two, I'm going to go with the chip makers um, as the ones being having the greatest potential in 2024. I'm not sure if I answered your question. Those are just some initial thoughts on those two companies. No, no, that's that's uh, very, very interesting. Uh, and, and basically, I just want to shift a little bit towards volatility because, you know, uh, a lot of people use volatility to think about what might happen to stocks in the stock market. And, uh, you know, a lot of people use the VIX index, which is a 30 day look forward for, uh, you know, the, the market volatility. And it's it's really hit uh, lows recently, not lows we haven't seen since the pandemic and much uh, lower than than its long term average. And so, you know, uh, my question is, what, what does this mean going into 2024? We're seeing this low volatility uh could we expect higher volatility or about the same or lower or what, what's what's the expectation? Well, I, I appreciate that question and I have an answer for it. Uh, one that at least is an answer for myself. What am I looking for in regards to volatility? And I think that uh, what we didn't see that I thought that we should have seen when we recently tested uh, the lows in uh, end of August, September and October. We, we we saw that volatility was largely around 13 on the VIX. And what we what I would have liked to have seen is for volatility to have doubled. That's a basic general rule of thumb. So if we really got a flush out at that moment, then we should have seen volatility spike to 26. Um, if you go back in history, that's a typical move. We didn't get it. So that actually was an early indicator that the market was still in the mode of pressing higher. Um, some at the time, I was concerned when it was between 20 and 23 that we had to be cautious and wait for that bigger volatile move to get back into heavy investing. Um, but it did not turn out to be the case. Um, it it actually volatility flushed and the market took off again like a rocket. And here we are at the lows. So we let's assume that this is the low right now. It's around 12. The recent low is around 1230, we'll call it. Again, I'm going to be looking for if we get a vol if we begin to get a sell-off and everybody perceives that the top has been peaked. We hit, let's say we hit that 4,900 on the S&P 500 and we're down at 12 on the VIX. I'm going to look for that to double as a general rule of thumb. So I'm going to be looking for it to hit $24 um, to feel like we've had a real proper flush out. Um, so yes, I absolutely think we're going to have more volatility, but I don't have a gauge as to when. The closest I would see it would be around March uh, on that, then you know, buy the rumor, sell the news on that uh, actual rate cut coming. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you make about the volatility in the in the most recent sell off in the third quarter of that uh, September October timeframe. It did not go up very much given how much we went down, but it seems like there wasn't 
too much fear in the market. I felt like we were, it was almost a very orderly sell-off. And so, you're 100% right, Justin. You're 100% right on that. Which is in contrast to the sell-off that we saw in long-term bonds. We saw people panicking in, in 10-year rates exploding right to 5%. And so, you know, kind of my thought here is, you know, what where, what's the difference there? What, what, what causes that market to just people to just panic versus you know, slowly selling off, uh, uh, you know, on, obviously on other, it looked like this was to sell off on the bond market uh, going higher and not necessarily on earnings or economic outlook. Yeah, well, I don't think, so just in regards to that, you know, um, there's the phrase dumb money, and that's been used by uh, insiders on Wall Street to refer to the retail community and um, and basically the emotional nature of retail investors. Um, you know, I I think that the the Wall Street itself they tend to not be emotional. They tend to have a big broad view, um, much closer to the data than typical retail traders. And and yes, it's a very unusual thing for them to get into a panic moment that typically can only be generated by data and news. And I don't think that we have had really any news for a long time that was somewhat unexpected. That's my personal opinion. So I think the reason why the VIX has moved coolly as it has is because we haven't really had any unexpected data. I mean, really for over a year now, the you know inflation has steadily been moving down. Um, the Fed's maintained his rhetoric with minor, um, you know, minor indications of of an easing idea, and uh, and so yeah, the data hasn't been there. There's nothing that's shocked or surprised the market, and there and that's another reason why we still haven't had a reason to go down. Um, so yeah, we haven't had any real bad data. Um, uh, corporate earnings didn't shock us in any way. They were pleasantly, they were all a pleasant surprise of, of better growth than expected. Yeah. And so a, a lot of that sell-off seemed to be really with, uh, about bond yields rising. And we saw an absolute reversal in, 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 in the fourth quarter where, uh, bond, you know, bonds rallied and yields came down and the stock market rallied. And so, you know, uh, is that, correlation being stretched. I mean, going into 2024, if, if bonds keep going, yields keep going lower, do you expect the stock market to keep rising? Uh, will will that correlation continue or or is it stretched? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I would say that I, I can't, um, I wouldn't have a strong prediction on that. Um, I think that there are factors in my mind that come, that come quickly to my mind that would, that could eradicate um, the, that simple view. Um, in general, I think we are still seeing that, and should for should for a while more. I think that um, we're you know we're seeing some treasuries go up nicely, uh, and we're definitely seeing some. We're seeing those will continue to rise as the Fed cuts rates. Uh, now the question as to where that money will go specifically, I think uh, you know that there could come that situation where risk is taken off table. Uh, for a brief period of time. And I guess if that were, if I had to give a more concise answer, I would say that I don't believe that when we're taking risk off the table, that it will be off for a, for a long period of time. I think it's going to be a short period of time. 
a dip, and then you're going to see again, unless we get some data that would cause us to think otherwise. You know, you I go back to that Larry Fink interview. He wasn't scared because there's so much money being printed. There's nothing in the data that he saw that should keep him from being a confident investor. That was the attitude that he got. And so I would say the same thing. Largely, I think, um, as you were saying, we are going to see, um, you know, uh, I think we're going to see movement of money into stocks eventually. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting take. It's always interesting to see uh, guys like Larry Fink and other people, you know, what they think about the market. And I mean, and this is the time of year, end of year, beginning of, of next year. Uh, people are are making, they're doing their takes, uh, making their prognostications about 2024. And, and it seems to me like, uh, you know, there's kind of this herd mentality and they always kind of stick close to each other in, in their predictions. And my question to you is, Anything you think is consensus for a lot of a lot of these prognosticators that maybe you you don't agree with? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, well, I would just say this. I what comes to mind that I would almost like a warning that I would like to give people is I would like them to understand what the the four cycles of the market. You know, we we have an accumulation phase, we have a markup phase, we have a distribution phase, followed by a decline phase. So in 2022, a lot of stocks had bottomed and they went into an accumulation phase. And then we saw quickly after that, we've seen a markup phase, really all of 2023. Been an incredible year from uh, the lows of 2022. What follows a markup phase? Markup phase is followed by distribution. What are the characteristics of distribution? Characteristics of distribution is much higher price swings. So instead of Apple going up a couple dollars every day, um, you know, 180, 183, 184, 186, 187, with one and a half dollar pullbacks, you see it flush down, you know, five, six dollars a day, two days in a row dropping $10 after it spent a month climbing $10. And then you think, okay, well, I, goodness gracious, I better turn around and sell my Apple right now. And then you see it turn around and pump $10 in a single day back up to where it was. Those larger price movements are the characteristics of distribution. And if I were to say, you know, consensus right now is that the market's going higher and higher and that everything is going to continue to climb. Now, it's true that a lot of retail investors tend to let go of their winners too soon. And so it does pay to hold on to your winners to see where they could go. If you had been invested in Meta at $84 and it went up 100% and you sold, you would have made a fatal mistake because it was going to go up another 100% still. The same with NVIDIA. Um, you know, I would say that at this point in time, um, I would say that all of these stocks are are elevated. They're at the top of their range, and it's and it it could be time to raise your stop loss so you can actually realize some of the gains that you had. And uh, that I guess it would be my. I don't know what consensus is right now. Consensus and think you know people are largely still in a bullish mind frame. I've often noticed, Justin, that um, that when the market's bullish. Everybody on CNBC is bullish. You know, when the market's bearish, everybody comes out with bearish commentators. They just go from the bullish commentators to the bearish commentators, depending on what the day did. Uh, they're not really um, forward looking. You know, they're just kind of letting you know what just happened. Um, 
I think that everybody should realize that we just went through a markup phase and that the next phase after that is typically distribution. And unless you want to ride the wide waves of price action on the distribution phase, you may consider taking profits. Well, it, it sounds like the distribution uh, phase would be pretty good for volatility in the VIX. So yeah, that we, we, we might you know jump off of some of these lows. Uh, and and that's a question for you. In 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 you know in, in some ways, I think a lot of investors think, well, if you did it right, 2023 was pretty easy. You just bought and you hold, yeah, and you made a lot of money. No matter pretty yep. much wherever you went, you, you could make money this year. I, obviously, it was narrow in the fact that if you're in big tech, you made more. But you know, what, wherever you were, if you bought and held, uh, and and so, but with the volatility coming in, you know, how 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 did uh, traders and investors need to change their game plan uh, with that. You know, I, I will say this in regards to the first part of your comment is in the beginning of 2023, somewhere in the month, I think it was March, I have to go back and look specifically, I did a video titled, and it was hard for me to do this video and hard for me to title this video the way that I did. The video was titled, You Missed the Bottom. And the reason why I did that is because I knew that there were people that were still afraid to invest in 2023 because they had the belief based on that uh, consensus you were talking about that there was going to be a Armageddon recession. The mother of all recessions was coming in 2023. And I knew that people were sitting on cash and that they were afraid to invest because, because I had been, I had been. And so I thought, you know what? I thought I need to quickly pivot. This market's doing great. We have no clue that a recession will come in 2023. I need to pivot and I need to let people know that I'm pivoting. And uh, that proved to be great. That proved to be good advice. And if people had gone all in from that moment forward, there was a ton of money to be left in big tech all the way up till today. Um, and now going into, uh, you know, now going into to uh, 2024, Justin, I think I should consider doing a video um, don't, you know, don't miss taking profits at the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's a good one. So, you know, the other thing that we've seen in, in 2023 and, and honestly, 2022, it's, it's really been about the Fed, what the Fed, not even what the Fed did. It's, it's more about how the market interprets what the Fed has done or what they're going to do. And so what, what I love, you know, it kind of every few months uh, the Fed comes out with their own projections and so they just yeah. did so in December. And, uh, you know, I want to run some of these economic numbers by you and kind of see what you think about uh, where the Fed is. And, and so just so everyone's clear and understands how it works, uh, the Fed does not come up with a consensus number and say, this is our number. They survey all of all of the FOMC members. Everyone comes up with their own forecasts and then they combine them to have a median forecast. So obviously, certain Fed members may be lower or higher than these. These just just the average median num numbers. Uh, and the first one that that I, I think a lot of people expected to go up a lot in 2023 and that didn't is unemployment. Uh, unemployment is still chugging, really kind of very close to all time lows. Uh, we did see some that some of that slack in the labor market, the job openings, there's not as many job openings now as there were, but the actual people employed, a lot of people are employed right now. Uh, and so from that aspect, it's pretty good. And so the Fed sees their their median uh, unemployment rate at the end of next year, end of 2024 at 4.1%. 
What's your thoughts on unemployment? Well, okay. I'd like to just take a broader view to explain this in a way that the retail market could understand. Um, because I, I didn't understand what I'm about to say years ago. I didn't understand it. So what happens if we have the data points that convinces the market makers or Wall Street, we'll just refer to them, that we are moving into a recession, then what they're going to begin to look for, all of the analysts that cover big tech and all the large companies in, in the U.S., they're going to begin to look for them to cut employees because they want them to be preemptive in protecting profit margin. I cannot say that the most sacred uh, you know, uh, part of Wall Street is the profit margin, and that's what those the analysts are wanting to see protected. And the only way to protect it is to cut people. And so the the companies that are the most aggressive in cutting employees are the ones whose price share price will be preserved by wall street and uh and so it almost becomes a race to to make these cuts but it's very hard because companies take time to build up these valuable employees and then all of a sudden somebody at the very top or the board of directors above the ceo says yeah we need to cut 10,000 people and then the company, it takes them time to scramble and figure out what that's going to look like. You know, that, you know, okay, which department could we afford to do that in? Which one would we hurt our revenues the most? And so I just want to make, make it clear that that's why I went back to the fact that we don't have the data that would indicate to us um, that, that would cause the market to react that way. We don't have it. Matter of fact, in many ways, analysts should be expecting these companies to add employees and um, in 2024 to capitalize on the AI growth and other factors that are going to impact them uh, into, into other global economies. They want to see employees added right now. So I don't see, I see, I think the Fed, there, there can be, there can, the labor market can ease, Things can cool off because it had been super hot, but I don't see it um, dropping exponentially. And that's another point that I guess I want to take a step back and make. Um, there is, in my mind, a 50-50 on inflation going back up and the labor market tightening again. And uh, best case scenario is that we would remain in this softening environment for a while and the markets don't get spooked. Um, but I, but if I could just as easily, Justin, right now make a case for you why the labor market would tighten and, it, and the Fed is wrong. I could just as easily do that. The data, the data does not support that uh, capitulation tipping moment yet for uh, labor. Yeah, and, and that uh, brings up a real interesting point uh, about the Fed's own inflation forecast. So uh, to me right now, I, I think inflation might be the hardest thing to predict. Uh, and, I, and I've seen so people have so many different views on where they think we're going with inflation. And so the, the Fed uses what's called core PCE inflation. That's their measure of inflation. And uh, most, you know, most of us uh, retail people, we're looking at CPI. But uh, eventually, they're, they're, they show the same type of thing in, in a trend inflation. And, and they're looking at 2.4 uh, prediction for next year and uh, in, in, on their way to the target of 2%. Uh, but obviously, there's there's a lot of room uh, to go both ways. I mean, a, a lot of people think, well, if uh, if inflation, if the economy slows and we have a recession, well, inflation will slow. Uh, but there's other people that think the opposite and say, 
well, if the economy slows, we could you know have stagflation and inflation could rise, or the, the economy overheats and inflation rises. So so there's a lot of different situations with inflation. Uh, and, you know, right now, I think it's come, it went up a lot faster than anyone ever thought it would, uh, you know, a, a year and a half ago. And it's come down faster uh, from its peak, uh, you know, CPI peaked over 9%. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. And, and here we are much, much lower. Uh, and, uh, and it's and hasn't proved to be sticky. And, and I think uh, for me, a lot of that has to do with the idea of uh, what, what people would call supply uh, constrained inflation or or basically you, you know for instance we have uh, you know a problem getting shipping through the red sea and that could cause prices to go up and and, and obviously the, the pandemic and the war in ukraine caused temporary supply problems and and uh the real question is is are people willing to pay more for some of these goods and i'm not sure uh a lot of people uh, have a have a, a a real good feeling either way of, of which way we're going to go, and, and it seems to shift every month. So, uh, what are your thoughts on on inflation for twenty twenty four, and 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 how do you how how do you use that to gauge your investing? Well, first I thought you did a great job, just kind of giving an overview. I I agreed with every single thing that you laid out there, so thank you for that. Um, I what I think the largest point that I would make is that uh, first I agree with you. It's kind of surprising how it did. You know, the, the, you know, you could say maybe the Fed did a great job. He they did an unprecedented rate hike. I mean, we were seeing seventy five basis points coming one after the other. And maybe he got ahead of it, and that's what's caused this nice, beautiful slowdown. Um, and it, it was sort of surprising to see him do that. It was nice to see the market respond and for inflation to come down. Um, but I guess the lar- the only point that I could really contribute on this, Justin, is that I I don't think that uh, that we have a clear path yet. Um, and I think the you know I don't think anybody who says that we do um, should have any reason for saying that. I mean, at the moment we could we have a clear path that perhaps over the next thirty days we'll continue the trend. But all it would take is for inflation to begin to go back up, um, for this market to freak out because. Uh, they might give the market a couple reads, you know, to see if one is an anomaly, perhaps. Uh, it might drop a little bit, digest. But the very second we see that that the Fed doesn't have inflation under control, everybody's going to be concerned about the back in the 1970s, you know, into the 1980s when there was hyper, you know, the fear of hyperinflation and, uh, and it getting outside of his control, especially after his aggressive cuts. So largely, I just don't think that uh, we have, we have, that we know what's going to happen. And, and it's another reason why you either want to be, you know, you want to be in some cash at this point, taking some profits cons- potentially, um, you know, be in some short-term bonds still seem, you know, sensible to me so that you could react, um, you know, in the, in the first quarter of 2024, see what happens with inflation. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Uh, and so, you know, looking at all of these, you know, factors that the Fed, and I'll give you one more data point, uh, um, Changing real GDP 1.4 percent, so they they don't expect a recession, but but slow growth, uh, and they've taken all this together and, and tried to figure out well how many cuts are they going to make, and they expect the Fed funds rate to be uh, uh, at a median level of 4.6 percent at the end of 2024. That equates to about uh, three cuts. Uh, the market, meanwhile, is is expecting them to cut five or six times. But just to give you you know give our listeners a little bit broader context. The Fed raised 500 basis points. That's 20 
hikes, 20, 25 basis point hikes. So now we're talking about one cut or two cuts or three cuts. And it seems like everyone is is so excited. And literally, we, we're only going back from 20 down to 17 if you're following the Fed. Is that enough to move the, the needle for stocks higher? Uh, you know, is, you know, are people overreacting when it seemed like we're, we're raising 75 point points at a time before? And now when we cut 25 basis points, uh, people think this is, you know, the greatest thing ever. And so, well, you know, my question is, you know, what, what are some of your thoughts on that? Well, I think the best response I could give to you is I think that the market has already priced in more cuts. 100% of me is convinced that this current market has priced in more cuts than the Fed has said that, or that the, the, the top analysts have suggested the Fed will do, or he's given an indication. They're, so they're pricing in more cuts. Um, and I think that's a little bit dangerous, of course, because if they have jumped the gun, and if for some reason they're wrong and inflation remains sticky and he gives us a cut but doesn't give us as many cuts as they're expecting, now there is confusion and the market hates confusion. And typically uh, we'll see impending volatility and you know in 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 the market. So I think that the problem that we're at right now is that the market has priced in all these cuts and which is kind of weird uh, Justin because the market's expecting all these cuts typically that's going to be based on some recessionary data and him having to respond to it but simultaneously they've projected uh, uh high growth for the S&P 500 and the two don't go hand in hand and so I did another video about you know 3 months back saying uh someone's lying <laughs> you know either you know though I said the market is lying and uh, the implication to that is that um, you cannot simultaneously be pricing in all these cuts and expecting uh, because the market because the Fed is only going to cut because of 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 the signs of a of the economy slowing too much and then simultaneously expecting Apple Meta you know and um, you know all these other companies Nvidia to you know to Tesla and all of them to be having great earnings the two don't go hand in hand. And, they, and that doesn't make sense. And I don't think that's, I don't think we, I don't have, I have an answer for you as to why that is, why that's the way it is right now. Well, it's going to be a fascinating topic. And that, that that's probably the one that, I, you know, along with inflation that I think a lot of people want some clarity on. And so hopefully going into 2024, we'll get a, a little bit more clarity once we see, you know, a, a kind of a steady bottom put in inflation, where it goes from there. And and ultimately, you know, we might be heading for that March meeting and that that might be the real important meeting uh, for the Fed to see what they do, because if there is an expectation that they cut, it will be about what they say of future cuts. If they don't cut, that will be a surprise for a lot of people. And there's got to be a reason behind it. So I, I, I think uh, you're spot on there with uh, with March being uh, that that meeting that everyone should be looking forward to uh with the Fed. And, and and with that, I really want to thank you for being on the podcast today. We have we've covered a range of topics and and it's so exciting uh uh to have you here. And and again, you're also active in our community and I and I urge listeners to get, get into the Mumu community, uh follow Josh. And and you know, I just want to let you kind of have the last word, what your, you know, anything that we haven't talked about that that uh, coming up for 2024 that you want to let our listeners know or investors know your thoughts about. Yeah, well, you know, I want to just give some people some encouragement. I gave a recent uh, Jack Ma 
quote. He's the founder of of Alibaba, and he said, you know, things are going to be. I'm going to I'm going to quote it incorrectly, but uh, you'll get the gist of it. You know, things are going to be bad. They're going to be tough today. And they're probably going to be tough tomorrow. But then after that will come the sunshine. And, um, you know, I, I think that don't let the market scare you. Don't let it intimidate you. If you didn't understand every single thing that Justin and I were talking about today, um, you know, you can, the Wall Street is for you. And uh, it, you know, it looks like you. Wall Street has become diverse. It's a place where everybody is coming in and uh, growing wealth. And so, you know, don't get too bearish. Don't get too bullish. Uh, you know, think through your decisions, think through your risk, do your research, grow a little bit every day, and you'll find that people are making money on Wall Street. And that's why I'm on a one-month vacation in Hawaii right now, because there's money to be made on Wall Street. And I just want to encourage everybody to continue their journey. You know, podcasts like this can give you perspective. Um, you, you know, there's that old analogy about sharpening the axe before cutting the wood. Listening to these types of podcasts and, and just digesting people's thoughts on the market, it's just going to help you sharpen that act so you can make better decisions for yourself. Thanks for having me on, Justin. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Josh. And thanks to our listeners. And, and again, if, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure uh, to follow Josh. Let him know you enjoyed us. Let us know in the comments how much you enjoyed us. And we'll try to have him on again very soon to get his thoughts. Thank you very much. The opinions expressed are those of the host and any guest speaker and not necessarily those of Moomoo Technologies, Inc. or its affiliates. The podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not a recommendation or endorsement of any particular investment or investment strategy that may be mentioned or covered in the podcast. All investments involve risk and the loss of principal as possible. Past performance does not indicate or guarantee future success. Moomoo is not affiliated with any outside guests or their companies. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be appropriate for all investors. The Moomoo app is an online trading platform offered by Moomoo Technologies, Inc. Securities, brokerage products, and related services available through the Moomoo app are offered by Moomoo Financial, Inc., a member of FINRA, SIPC.